Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1319. Always inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from San Francisco, California, Tom Batano. Tom, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, yes. I see you're sitting in your Paninfarina chair. I'm very jealous. <laughs> very fun. Dr. Tom Batano is the executive director at the School of Industrial Design at Academy of Art University in San Francisco, California. He has over 30 years of experience in the automotive design industry. He has held design positions at General Motors Design in Michigan, GM Holdens in Australia, and with BMW in Germany. Tom was a chief designer at Mazda North America and worked at the Mazda headquarters in Japan, where he managed the chief designers group that created the entire Mazda car line. His accomplishments there included the MPV, the MX-5, the RX-7, Miata M-Coupe, and the M-Speedster concept cars. Dr. Matano has been enhancing the industrial design department at the Academy of Art University since 2002. So, Tom, I'm so excited to have you here. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your career and your passion for automobiles before I jump into the questions? Well, my career is all over the world. Yes. Uh, I went to architecture or engineering school, and then I realized that wasn't really for me. So I uh, took a six month off and decided to uh, seek for design education. And to do that, I need to have a risk management. So I decided to come to the States. If I fail everything else, at least get a language to support me somehow, like interpreter or translator. And luckily I got into Art Center and then graduated right after that. I got a job in GM Detroit. And then uh, that was a 74, the energy crisis. You know, I had to leave. My visa couldn't be renewed. So they sent me to Australia. And uh, they said, we're going to call me back, you know, call you back. But never happened for eight years, six, seven years. So I decided to leave my own to go to Europe because I was asking transfer to Oppo. Oh, okay. Because I wanted to learn European way of design. And otherwise, one design will last 10 years rather than every two years of minor changes. Then I applied for BMWs and Porsches and all, and I got Porsche job as well, but a BMW was very um, response in their correspondence was much better than Porsche. So I decided to go to Munich. I was there, and the only problem is that go to work in the dark, you know, seven o'clock, six, eight o'clock is still dark. Oh yeah. Come home at five thirty. It's still in the dark again. Yes. Yeah, and you know, living in Southern California for some years, and that was really hard to take. Yeah, I understand. And, and it's about, that way here in the Pacific Northwest too in the wintertime. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and then the year in, I had a call from my friend who works for Mazda. Says, "You want to come to Southern California without a without a thinking anything?" Says, "Yes," came out of my mouth. You were already in the car heading south. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't think of anything. I didn't ask any question. Just says yes. I'll be there. <laughs> I just want to get out of that cold and dark. 
Yeah. Anyway, so I, I moved to Southern California and kind of started the Marsda R&D design group in North America. And that was a very a beginning of that. And then the first project was MPV and a Miata. And then, then on, you know, all those other cars. Yeah. Um, but, you know, always interested in, I, I didn't tell you, I want to be architects as well. <laughs> okay. And but I never couldn't draw anything architectural, so I drew cars. You know, like when you were kids, everybody drew cars. Oh yes. Yeah. So I got into car design program, but uh, you know, I really wanted to be architectural design. So yeah. when I got to Mazda, an initial proposal went well, and they decided to build the new R and D center in Irvine, Orange County. Yeah. And I got to design the building. Oh, you're kidding. Well, so how fortuitous. Design, yeah. <laughs> I got to design the whole, you know, functions and building. Wow. So, what a dream come true. In a way, yeah. So that's satisfied. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so cool. You know, I love this story. And I love the way you kind of came back around to something you originally loved, which was architecture. I know in our pre-show chat, I told you my father was an architect. And when he went off to school, uh, he ended up I think he said he, he kind of ticked the wrong box and he ended up as an engineering major in Oklahoma. And he was like, well, I want to be an architect. And back then, now this was in the uh, early 50s, they said, well, you have to study engineering to be an architect. And he was like, oh, okay, there's a lot of math in this engineering stuff. But but he uh, sucked it up and worked through it and ended up being an architect. But uh, yeah, uh, but he was an artist too. He loved to draw. But I love the story. I love the fact you got to be involved in that building as well. That is a great story. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you as we move through these questions. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Tom, take the wheel. Ooh, you know, my um, tagline for my email is always inspired. Oh, I love it. And I, I got stuck with me since about 1983 when we started working on a Miata project. Mm -hmm. We had to write the whole scenario. It was in Japanese originally, and I had to find a translation for that. And then came up with the inspired sensation is a title of the whole story about a Miata. Oh, cool. And then since then, my emails is always inspired. I love it. So I love that's, it. That's my daily life. And if I don't achieve that every day, I think I should quit my. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here's another interesting thing, how you've taken that and then ended up at the uh, design school there, inspiring young students or older students, whatever age they may be, to proceed in their career choice and be inspirational. And that's what Cars Jazz is all about. My tagline is inspiring automotive enthusiasts. So you're right at home here. With cars, yeah, Tom. I love that. I love I that. So. Yeah, I think so. Well, share a story with me that instigated this passion that you have for cars. If you could go back in time, could you tell us about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy? Well, okay. My uncle was a zero fighter pilot. Wow. But he couldn't go one way trip because they ran out of plane at the end of the war. Oh, okay. Well, when you said one way, I was thinking kamikaze. Yeah, uh, that was a pilot. No, no. Yeah. He was trained to be a kamikaze. Oh, my gosh. A young wow. pilot. Yeah. But he couldn't do it. Oh, I mean, he couldn't fly. But 
in that training, they learned to build anything, rebuild anything. If they crash landed somewhere, they had to fix the plane. So he's a total mechanic. So right after the war, he assembled the parts to made up a little truck for my grandfather's business. And then I used to go there and I would be the navigator and turn the turn indicator. You know, one of those uh, arm comes out. That was my job at age four or five years old that I had to remember the route for his delivery. And I just used to do that. That was the first point. Oh, my gosh. How and, cool is that? And uh, my grandfather had a Morris Minor. Believe it or not, in 19, early 50s, he had a Morris Minor. Was that in Japan? In Japan. Okay. And that red leather seats got me. So I'm still, every car I own has to have a red leather seat. Ah, I like that. Well, you'll like my car then, having worked at BMW. I have an E46 M3, and the interior is uh-huh. indeed red. Yeah. Now, I was designing the first year of E46. Oh, you so know. Well, actually, I designed for first year for E36. Okay. I had that, a couple of those, too. <laughs> too advanced, so they slated to E46. Yeah. Well, so thank I, you I, for. I live at the first year. Yeah. So after that, somebody else took over. Well, but the design more resemble what I've done with E46 rather than E36. Well, thank you for designing <laughs> one of my favorite BMWs of all time. I've had mine since it was new in 2005. I just can't buy a new one because I love the design of my car too much. It's it's brilliant. I had two E36 M3s before that. I love the look of that car. So uh, well done, my friend. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Now I feel really good. Every time I get in my car, I'm going to think of you. And, uh, you know, Tom Tom was here. His 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 touch and his influence is here. So uh, I love but, red you know, interiors. They, I learned the aerodynamics a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the main reason why I went to BMW, because Holden's didn't have a wind tunnel. Oh, okay. So I really wanted to learn. Well, he did an awesome job. Well, let's take a look at some of these roads you've driven down, crawl under the hood and get our fingers a little dirty, a little greasy here. I'd love for you to share a big challenge or a big failure that you face along the way. And the reason I ask this question is to share not only the situation and what you had to go through, but more importantly, how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? Ooh, that's a tough one because I don't really have a failure, failure to call. I guess I'm pretty optimistic. So whatever happened, it would be a learning experience and move on. Success is that because of bilingality of it and working for Mazda in the U.S., you know, I had advantage over most people understanding both cultures. So it's not just pushing the agenda from the U.S. side, say what we needed in the United States, but I could translate it in such a way the Japanese counterpart could understand. So that was one of the advantages I had. Disadvantage is that I couldn't get paid twice for two languages. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work too well, does no. it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. This is very interesting to me. The difference in cultures, obviously very different culture in Japan than in the United States. When you're working in the U.S. for a Japanese company and you're communicating back to the Japanese company in the homeland, if you will, what were some of the big challenges you faced in that that cross connection? Was it with your coworkers who weren't Japanese because they were having trouble understanding the con- some of the concepts, or were there some other challenges there? Well, there are many, but like interesting thing about that is, say, sense of scale, for example. Okay. The whole I start working for Mazda. I never worked in Japan. 
And then I only get 10 scale drawing, you know, the tiny little drawing. I've been working with a full scale engineering drawing for any engineering feasibility in GM or the BMW. Oh. Now, all I get is this tiny little drawing. And, you know, they said like, okay, the hood and the air cleaner would be like this close, like 20 millimeter. Okay. In full size, you can feel like a finger could through, go through, you know, just dimensionally, you can feel them. Right. 10 scale drawing is that's only two millimeters. Yeah, it's a tiny so, little sliver. <laughs> you know, like your hand doesn't fit in a door handle. You don't get the feel of it. But because of that, the Japanese engineer could fit into so many little things into small places because that's how they get used to doing it. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. On the other hand, like for me, it's a hard time to really grasp the sense of scale, sense of space. Right. So that's one. And German engineer could move the components under the hood in three-dimensionally in one hit, one move. Like, okay, if I move this diagonally down this way, they can conceptualize in their head. I Very see. good at it. Japanese engineers have to divide it into side view elevations and plan views and all three views to say, okay, move this way, down. It's a totally different way of things. Right, yeah. For example. Did you uh, bring that new scale to that company as you were there? Did you ever no, convince them to go big? I was asking for a bigger drawing, and they finally agreed to send me a half scale. A half scale. <laughs> then I went to Japan for the first time and saw their engineering table. I realized that 10 scales only one fits on their tables. <laughs> so I understand why. But, yeah. So you bought them a bigger table. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, thousands of tables, I couldn't buy them. Oh, well, yeah, I guess there is a problem with so, that. But I understanding what they are. So I see. Interesting. If, if you want somebody to do a tight fitting everything, Japanese would be super good at it. Right, yeah. But on the other hand, give you a freedom of space to say, use this for whatever you, they don't know how to utilize that. Interesting. For wow. Example, we had an R&D building I designed. Uh-huh. In an office space, there are a lot of Japanese managers coming over. In their room, if you go in there, their back is against the wall, and table is like a one-third of the room, and the rest of the two-thirds of the floor is wide open because they get used to having that tight space from their table to the wall yes. back home. Yes. So they can't be too far away from the wall. Otherwise, very uncomfortable. Interesting. You know, this is very interesting to me because I did some business in Japan years ago, and I used to go over there and meet with people, big companies. I'd go into these corporate headquarters, and you'd go in and meet with the CEO, president, the head, director, whatever. And now that you say this, I remember that and how weird I thought it was. Why is the guy over in the corner with his back to the wall? And there's all this space. Why don't you move your desk out? Give yourself a little room, but I remember that because it struck me as very odd. I, of course, never asked anybody. I didn't want to offend anyone, but I thought, this is very bizarre. Wow. Well, very interesting. That, that's a body memory. Yeah, right? exactly. So if I present the full-scale model in Japan, everybody walk inching towards the car during the presentation. In five minutes, they are only three feet away from the car. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? Perspective and is all wrong. I them back, like 15 feet back, say, hey, we look at the cars about this far away every day. So please come back, look at the whole car, <laughs> yeah. and understanding the stance and the attitude and all that. 
Well, they go to three feet away. They can nick, check, nick. Picking every little details. <laughs> yes, interesting. That's why they are so good at details. Yeah. But sometimes fail on the overall attitudes and, you know, proportions and stuff. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, that Again, is. Again, it's a body memory. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Thanks for taking me down that path. Now I understand some things a little bit better. Well, let's have, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle, car, and maybe share memory you have about that ride. <laughs> I um I wanted to have a Skyline. Okay. Was, you know, when I was growing up, because my yeah. grandpa had a, after the Morris, he switched to Prince Company, which is Skyline. So I always have affinity to the Prince Skyline, but somehow I ended up with a Nissan Datsun Bluebird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, you know, I put all the rally, that was a popular thing at the time. So I put all the gears and like a deflector in front of the windshield. The rally package. I, yeah, the rally package. And I realized that all of a sudden the ventilation stopped working because the airflow bottom of the windshield is one of the high pressure area. Now you block them off, no air coming into the car. So I learned something. A little design feature that you yeah. learned about there. Yeah. yeah. And the wind, you know, there was out. As far as you were like 20 miles per hour, the rain start go over your head, not hitting windshield, for example. And then after a year, I had to sell the car a year and a half. You had to take all these gears off to sell it because resale value goes down if you customize it in Japan. A lot, you know. So then I realized a paint on the Ford of the wind deflector and behind is totally different. Stone chipping, the sand blasted on the front half of it, rear half is brand new. Very interesting. Wow. Well, yeah, maybe you should have put that thing on the front of the car. Would have protected the paint all the yeah. way through. But of course, you, know, you, you, you learn with a real experience. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's very, very cool. Well, is there a car you've let go, a seller's remorse story, a car you really wish you had back in your garage? Well, well, then after that, I came over here, so I bought the Fiat A50 Spider because I landed in LAX and look at the sky and I said, ah, convertible. Convertible. <laughs> so whatever I can afford, and that was the least expensive and I could afford it, so I bought the Fiat A50. Yeah, very and, cool. And then roof is broken, so obviously you don't need it in L.A. No. Uh, other than 10 days a year. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoyed it every day of it. Yeah, except for maybe this year. You guys have gotten – well, you're up in San Francisco, but L.A. got a lot of rain. Well, even San Francisco, you guys got a little more rain than normal this year, didn't Yeah, you? this year is not really good. But. Yeah, well, but the hills are beautiful and green. I will say that because yeah, I've been yeah, down there. Yeah. Yeah, they're so gorgeous. So anyway, you know, once you live through – whole year with a convertible you really want to get back into it you know the, then i went to detroit and worked for gm oh no i bought the bigger wagon because i wanted to know the wagon life in america oh, okay and now all of a sudden i'm friend with everybody when i had a 50 nobody would ask me anything <laughs> you know any move anything shopping whatever i get called yeah and then went to detroit and i switched to fiat x19 oh another small car well, it's a detachable roof. Yes, yes. Midship, you know, that's another thing I wanted to try. Yeah. But not a full convertible. So now I really want to get back into the full convertible. That, yeah. That's just totally different. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of starting of a Miata project that I wanted to have a full convertible that I can afford. <laughs> well, Miata is perfect for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. 
to convince the engineer that oil has to be leaking Friday night. <laughs> Can you program something in your engine that uh, tiny little drop of oil on a Friday night for oh, you UK, UK market? Because the Brits like to open the hood on Saturday and excuse to work on it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> or U.S. is the occasional rattle. Rattle. So oh, people okay. could complain about a convertible, but <laughs> it's bragging at the same time. Oh, that's funny. That's fun. That's too funny. Well, I love the Miata, and it's become such a popular car over the years. I remember when the first Miata came out, a guy that I worked at, I was a creative director at an ad agency, and he bought one of the first Miatas that came out and let me drive it. And I just went, you know, I love this thing, everything about it, and I loved where the shifter was. It was just right in the right spot. At the time, I was driving a uh, 1984 uh, Cabriolet, a Porsche 911 Cabriolet, uh, which I loved, of course, and always have loved the, the 911s. But that Miata was just, there was something about it. It just, I'd say friendly. It just felt friendly, felt felt good. Well, it's an everyday car. It, we call them a sneaker rather than the spike shoes. You know, the high performance, you had to have a spike shoes and certain track to drive it to the fullest. Yeah, there's a jogging shoes go around the, the block and you get fun. So that was the whole concept of it. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I would love for you to talk more about what has you excited these days at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Tell our listeners more about your department in the school, what the school is all about, and what has you excited about working there? Well, best part of it is unlimited supply of a young talent and young people. And that's amazing. You know, coming like 18, 19, having no idea. And then after four or five years, they're ready to go to work and designing some future cards. Yeah. So I used to design the hardware, now designing a software. <laughs> I like that very, very much. It's very cool. Are there some things that you're seeing right now in your school with this trend towards autonomous cars? And I want to ask you as a designer this question, because I've heard this as a complaint from a lot of my diehard car friends who don't like the idea of autonomous cars, is that cars are just going to become this utilitarian thing that nobody will care about what they look like. I don't believe it, but what's your opinion on that? Personally, I don't want to believe it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to believe it either. <laughs> I had too much passion into it. And driving is the one thing that Miata is driven by, or RX-7, for example. So it's a totally opposite polar, opposite of what I believe in driving cars and stuff. But kids today have no, you know, no hesitation. It's autonomous, okay, it's part of their way of designing cars. Uh, I, I think it's no problem at all. You know, we have some resistance in our age group to start off with. Yes. But these guys are natural, just go in and design it such. So that's a big difference from my group or, you know, our time right. and their time. Yeah. But then... In their hobbies, they're still into cars and, you know, they came to car design programs, so they love cars to start off with. But designing it, they have no difficulty or no uh, dilemma like I have to face with. Well, I find it really, really interesting. I have another question for you. Having gone to Art Center, uh, I have a lot of people who've been on guests on the show here who went to Art Center, and they have a wonderful car show every year at Art Center, which is delightful to attend. Have you thought about starting something like that at the Academy of Art no, at the University? No, we have a two, over 200 car collection. Ah, okay. There you go. That's to our building. Oh, um, 
50 or so of them are in our building. So students can see them every day if they, yeah. they want to go down to see the museum. There you go. And you some go. are spectacular cars, and you learn a lot about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even I see many cars, but every time I go down there, I found something new. So, yeah, we don't have a car. Sh- you know, San Francisco is hard to organize a show like that. Yeah. Space is limited. But having our own museum, and we wrote the cars from out of the 200 car collection. So, in that sense, it's okay. And yeah. we have a mini concourse around here like Hillsborough or uh, Pebble Beach, of course. So we go out there all the time. Yeah, fantastic. Very cool. Well, Tom, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Okay, Tom, we are back, and I have a very introspective and design thoughtfully question for you. If you were a vehicle, if you woke up tomorrow and you were a car parked in the garage, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle. What kind of car would Tom be and why? (laughs) Funny you mention it because that story that I wrote for the Miata was like first night when you brought the car home, you take everybody out. And then the end of the night, before you go to bed, you peek into the garage and say good night to the car. Or you can go sit in the car one more time before you go to bed. That was part of the concept at the beginning. In uh, that story, I, I can mail you that one eventually. Yeah. But 
Um, then the actual car stuff, you know, Miata club thing is also the part of the concept. I wanted to have a club to share the, the passions and all. And has to have a magazine just like a regular magazine. You know, I written all that stuff. And that actually happened. Then I talked to people about this story. I said, no, no, I spent the night in there. I said, what? <laughs> that small? Oh, no, no, I just couldn't believe it. So I had to spend, spend the night in the car, right? And then, <laughs> I like it. So my design philosophy is always you are the inside of the car or the doorknob or the lamp or whatever you design. And then waiting for the hand to come in to grab the knob, or you're waiting in a car. In a Miata's case, is don't use that dirty rug on me. You know, please come back with a soft cloth and <laughs> you know rub me down rather than that. Right? So yeah. that was a message we put it in, and I can see that people come near it, and then you know not intentionally but unconsciously putting hands over the surface. When I see that, and I said I communicated correctly. Or RX-7, for example, the FD, the third generation. I wanted, you know, muscle being toned, so ready to go. I trained in the gym. You know, I'm ready. I'm trimmed, really athletic. Well, the first six-month survey said their hobby is to go to the gym and work out. That most of the drivers, right? So, again, I think we communicated that in a way. So I always design something inside that you be the one inside and talking, looking out to communicate what I wanted to say. There you go. I love it. By the way, my mom bought an RX-7 when they first came out. I always thought she was really cool, especially for buying that car. It's like, yeah, good job, mom. I was always wanting to drive that thing. She's, nope, nope. Drive your own car. (laughs) Well, here we are entering the last lap, Tom, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Miata and RX-7 throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Advice ever received? Yeah, Hmm. it could be design advice. Maybe somebody gave you a mentor or something. Hmm, That's hard. Just I'm going to have to come back to that one. Well, let me have, I'm going to push you a little bit on this. Uh, it, was there a mentor you had when you were a young designer that, that said something to you? Or maybe there's a, uh, a designer out there, Panin Freen, or someone that you admire that has a saying or advice they would often give? Not really a saying, but I study the Panin Farina, the Bertone, and all those designers and rave a lot about like Giugiaro for how good he is. But then I became a designer, realizes that he doesn't really have the passion thing. He wasn't the car guy, for example. Um, You know, he's a great designer. So when he does a golf, it's great. But he never can do a Ferrari because he doesn't have that passionate emotion built into the car design. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, I had a uh, first-gen Scirocco that he designed. Yeah, Yeah, those are perfect. Lotus Esprit is good, modern design, but it's not like standing next to it and you feel the heat of the car next to you, or you can start feel the engine rumbling next to you. That's the like a Ferrari of all, you know, like you can start, yeah, you can start feeling that. So that's why when I was designing the, the RX-7 and all, I want our design to be like that, getting near it, and you can feel the temperature or something. Like NXX doesn't feel the temperature standing next to it, 
but a three three or eight there, not knowing the name, but at least you get feel of it. That's that that's a way that I want to design cars. And if I designing any cars and go to parking lot like shopping mall or whatever, you park it, shut the door, walk out, and go start walking towards your destination. But you have to look back. The car make you turn back and look at your, you know, admire your car. That's the kind of car that I wanted to design. And that's the kind of car the monster should be drive, designing. That was back in 1983-84. We started that whole philosophy. And today, you know, today the result is that they continue that for 30 years now. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, I always look back at my cars. <laughs> I'm one of those look back guys for sure. Now, how about a personal habit? Would you share one of yours that you believe has contributed to your successes over the years? I, I didn't know, but, you know, I went to analysis engineering, which is time motion studies and all the analytical part of the science in a way. And I failed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. But um, I switched to design anyway. Believe it or not, my strength is observation in many ways. You know, like yeah. that I told you about Japanese thing, the knife, the kitchen knife. I bought one here, wasn't cutting well. And I complained, said, wow, this lousy American knife or something. <laughs> and I brought one from Japan that cuts like crazy. Yeah. And then one day, accidentally, I pushed the American knife and cuts like crazy. You know, the American knife cuts on the push. The Japanese knife cuts on the pull. Interesting. Okay. You know sashimis and stuff, delicate fish. You not want to push it, butcher it. So you have to kind of slice it. So that's how the culture, the food, the whatever, diet, whatever, the country, they all develop those things accordingly. Interesting. I love right? that. So yes. Like my observation of that. I love the analogy. Very, very cool. I like that. I, I tend to do that on everything. Okay. Not knowingly, not, not intentional, but just kind of watch it and see. Yeah. It's your DNA. Very important in a designer, for sure. How about a resource? Is there a resource out there that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, funny, because of all that stuff, I have an instinct of picking up a few bits and pieces and creating your own hypothesis and then test it out, proving out, and become pretty believable statement. And then I think I've been doing that a lot. So Merci. that way you can create the future, predict the future by doing that. I like it. I like it. Now, if I could sit you down and arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, either living or deceased, who would that be? Ooh, I don't know. I want to have a decent conversation with like Pininfarina uh, or Bertone without a language barrier. I just want to really sit down and talk to them about different design things because I was a student of a design, but I never really had a conversation like even Jujaro, for example, or Bill Mitchell. Chuck Jordan, I was working for him, so I had a pretty good idea of it. But yes. it'll yeah. be nice to talk to those people. Oh, yeah, I think so. I'd love to talk to them myself. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you might share with our listeners that you enjoyed reading? 
I don't know. I, I, I like the book of the Bob Lutz wrote. Oh, <laughs> knowing, yeah. Knowing his personality. Other than that, I don't really, be honest, I don't really read the books as much, but I have a great friends who love to read uh-huh. and keep me with the information. Well, um, gee, now this is interesting because working as a, a at a school and uh, not being a big book reader, I'm going to have to shame you a little bit, but that's okay. I understand. But uh, yeah, Bob Bob uh, Lutz wrote a great book called Guts. Is that the book you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's on my shelf as tool. He also wrote one called Icons and Idiots, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, knowing Bob Lutz, I don't know him personally. I'd love to get him uh, on this show, but uh, interesting guy. Definitely a powerhouse in the automotive industry. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these resources Tom has shared with us today on his very own Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go there and type in Tom Matano, M-A-T-A-N-O, Japanese name with a hint of Italian in there, as he told me in our pre-show check. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, Tom, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to be Santa Claus. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. Doesn't matter who owns it or where it is, I'm going to park it in your garage. But there's a couple rules to this game that are going to make this a challenge for you. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with, so that little trick's off the table. Uh, you have to drive it. No garage queens here, but you live in beautiful San Francisco. The Coast Highway is just a short jaunt away over the hill. And it's the only cool collector car in your garage. So what can I buy you today? Tipo 33. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you picked a, you picked a tough one uh, for me to get my hands on, didn't you? And I knew that you would, but let me ask you this with this car, because it's one of the most elegant and beautiful cars out there. What is it about the Tipo 33 you love so much? This well, whole thing is a proportions or near perfect in my book. You know, the width, the height, the length, and everything else. And every part of it, you cannot fail them. The size of whatever, everything is almost near perfect in my book. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a beautiful car. I mean, it's just everything about that car to me is... Uh, Incredible. Carlo Chitti, if I'm saying his name right, was the design. Oh, there you've got a model in your office. No, there. this is a TZ. Oh, is that a TZ? Okay, I just saw the tail end of it. That was one of the favorite. And an SZ instead of that SZ2, but SZ1, the round tail. And a Kanguro is a one that I really fell in love with to be a car designer. Okay, okay. Um, but realizes Kanguro is a bit narrow in real life. Mm-hmm. But a Tipo is perfectly wide, and you know the whole proportion was much better than any of those cars. Yeah, yeah, it's a work of beauty. Uh, wonderful car. Well, would you have a color choice just so I get you the right color when I deliver this thing? <laughs> I don't want to show up in the wrong color. Tipo has to be in red. Red, yeah, I think but so. Believe it or not, I saw our museum got the white Dino. Oh, yeah. You, know, you never consider Dino in white. No. But today, with all the Audis and white and nice black accents and all, and look at the Dino, it's much more modern than a red Dino. Believe it or not, I just never thought that would be the case. But the nice, pure white, you know, really good white Dino looks more modern than a red one. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I've only seen one in white. Maybe the car that you guys have, maybe you guys had brought it to a car show or something I was at, but... uh... You would never think that car would look beautiful in white, but you know what? That design, the Dino, is one of my favorites. 
I think that would look good in pink. I mean, it doesn't matter what <laughs> yeah. color. Well, Tom, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. Really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you head off down the coast highway in that Alfa Romeo Tipo 3? (laughs) Well, just enjoy the driving to the hill in either slow speed or high speed in different routes, but enjoy the the ride because everything goes away in your mind and just simply enjoy driving there you go and what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about academy of art university in san francisco www.academyart.edu okay cool you know information there we do started the new restoration program as well it's a two years because a lot of uh, restorers around the bay area got nowhere nobody to take over or turn into Yes, their, their son doesn't want to take over and all, so they're all willing to teach the the, the students here. I'm so glad to hear you're doing this. I just uh, had this talk with, I sit on a board at the RPM Foundation, uh-huh, yeah, where, yeah. where we're working on that same problem right now. And I just visited Bruce Canapa's shop, which is just down there in Scotts Valley, yeah, and he right. said the same thing. I mean, he's got this shop full of incredible cars to work on. And most everybody there is old, and he's worried about when they all age out. Who's yeah. going to follow in and build those Porsche 917 engines and yeah. restore those 300 SLs? So I'm very happy to hear that. I well, know. listeners, you can find everything Tom has shared on his show notes page. I encourage you to check out the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Wonderful school. If you've got a young person or an older person that's thinking about attending a design school or university, this just might be the perfect place for you. Tom, thanks for being so generous today with your time your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. You're welcome. And see you again soon. Thank you. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.